Today on the Matt Walsh Show, the media is falling all over itself to celebrate Simone Biles for quitting. She's the most inspiring and courageous quitter the world has ever seen, they tell us. But I'm not so sure that I agree with this redefinition of courage and our five headlines, including the pathetic, desperate and grotesque display put on by the Democrats during the January 6th hearing yesterday. Also, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who was not in the Capitol building that day, now says that she was afraid that she would be raped. That's what she said. The CDC has also reinstated the mask mandate, but the question is whether anyone gives a damn about the CDC's mandates at this point. And in our daily cancellation, after a day filled with men crying on camera, we will discuss whether these sorts of displays should be welcome in our society at all. All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Now, a quick word before we get started from a new sponsor on the show, RexMD. You know, a lot of guys, I think, uh, don't like going to the doctor for really any reason at all, uh, but especially if it's, uh, you know, something you don't want to talk to a doctor about face-to-face. That's what RexMD is all about. RexMD.com has FDA-approved generic Viagra starting at just $2 per tablet and delivered discreetly to your door. Here's how it works. Just fill out a brief survey, and if appropriate, you can try a starter pack of generic Viagra Starter packs are currently available to new customers. RexMD.com has helped over 100,000 men get generic Viagra from the comfort of their home. There's no copay, there are no doctor office visits, and your shipping is always free. If you're looking for generic Viagra, RexMD has made the process fast, easy, and uh, also affordable. And, uh, you know, it takes the embarrassment away from you. So don't wait another minute. RexMD is now offering starter packs of generic Viagra for new customers. You can visit rexmd.com slash Walsh right now to get started. That's rex, R-E-X-M-D.com slash Walsh. From the way that Olympic gymnast Simone Biles is being praised this week, you might think that the decorated superstar put on a heroic display during the team competition in Tokyo uh, yesterday and, and led her squad to a gold medal. Many prominent politicians like Ayanna Presley and Cori Bush and many others have made public statements applauding her. The White House press secretary expressed gratitude and support, said we all should express gratitude and support for, Mo- for Simone Biles. Deadspin gushed over the what they call the most impressive move of her career. Former Olympians joined in the group hug. Many athletes came out to support her. Articles have been written extolling her bravery, declaring that her achievements this week have sent a, quote, powerful message to the world. CNN called her performance impactful. The New Yorker described her, quote, radical courage. The New York Times talked about her champion mindset. She's been hailed for her strength and for setting an amazing example, being a great athlete, a great role model, all based on what she did yesterday. Women's advocacy groups have come to her defense, have thanked her for all that she's done. It has been perhaps the most effusive praise that has ever been heaped on a quitter. That's what Simone Biles did to earn this exuberant applause. After all, she gave up. After struggling in the qualifying rounds and botching the first event in the women's team finals, Biles decided to withdraw from the meet. The best gymnast on the squad, the leader, one of the most celebrated U.S. Olympic athletes of all time, chose to abandon her team in the middle of the finals. Her teammates would finish second behind Russia, while Biles went on to receive even more acclaim than a gold medal would have earned her, probably. Now, there was some talk early on suggesting that Biles had been physically injured, but that was not the case. Biles has since explained that she left the competition in order to focus on her mental health and her, quote, mindfulness. She complained that the Olympics haven't been fun this year. She said, quote, this Olympic Games, I wanted it to, I wanted it to be for myself when I came in, and I felt like I was still doing it for other people. Returning to this theme later, she said that it's important to put mental health first. Because if you don't, then you're not going to enjoy your sport. She complained about the pressure that she's been under. Here's a little more from Biles herself explaining uh, why she quit. Here she is. And it's been really stressful, this Olympic Games, I think, just as a whole, um, not having an audience. There are a lot of different variables going into it. It's been a long week. It's been a long Olympic process. It's been a long year. Um, So just a lot of different variables, and I think we're just a little bit too stressed out. Um, But we should be out here having fun, and sometimes that's not the case. I just felt like it would be a little bit better to take a back seat, uh, work on my 
mindfulness and I knew that the girls would do an absolutely great job and I didn't want to risk the team a medal for uh, kind of my screw ups because they've worked way too hard for that. So I just decided that the, those girls need to go in and do the rest of the competition. Yeah, I say um, put mental health first because if you don't, then you're not going to enjoy your sport and you're not going to succeed as much as you want to. So it's okay sometimes to even sit out the big competitions to focus on yourself because it shows how strong of a competitor and person that you really are. Now, the people who wish to make excuses for her have offered all kinds of rationales that Biles herself has not offered. There have been lots of people online talking about, for example, her sexual assault and speculating that uh, somehow that might have contributed to this. But she has not once cited that as a reason for her decision. And frankly, it seems pretty disgusting to inject that into this uh, discussion in hopes of bailing her out when she has not brought it up. There are others saying that she was essentially mentally incapacitated to the point that she physically couldn't perform the moves. But again, that's not really what she's saying. You can listen to what she's saying. She has talked more broadly about her mental health, mentioned multiple times that she wasn't having fun, and said, again, multiple times that she needed to focus on herself. That's what she said. Those are her words. She explained why she did this. We don't need to theorize about it. She told us. Now, the question is whether those are good reasons. They aren't. Now, on one hand, there's nothing terribly surprising about the reasons that she gave for quitting. People quit things all the time, and, and, and they almost always do it because the thing they're quitting is difficult and not very fun, and they're afraid of failing. This is the universal rationale of all quitters everywhere for all time. I have quit things myself for that reason. You have quit things for that reason. Everyone has, with no exceptions. In this case, there, there's no doubt that the difficult thing was very difficult indeed. The pressure she experiences as a world-famous athlete on a global stage must be quite burdensome on both an emotional and physical level. And that's what makes quitting understandable. The one thing that it cannot be is admirable. Now, if Simone Biles, here's the point, okay? And I want everyone to try to understand this. Because a lot of people don't, apparently. It's a very simple point. If Simone Biles had bailed on her team as she did, and apologized after the fact, um, instead of saying, well, I need to focus on myself and hey, they can handle it. If she had bailed on her team, apologized after the fact, and the public had reacted in an appropriately sort of bum, bummed out kind of way to the news, then there wouldn't be much else to say on the matter. It's hard to compete in the Olympics. It's hard to live up to high expectations. Lots of people quit things when they're hard. Again, we all have at one time or another. That's why when someone quits, we normally shake our heads and say, well, that's a shame. And then we move on with our lives. Nobody's suggesting that athletes who quit ought to be tarred and feathered in the street. They might do that in China, maybe, but um, we're not saying that for here. I'm not advocating that we, we put them in the stockades in the middle of the town square and throw tomatoes at them. That's not the point. It's enough to be disappointed and be done with it. In fact, if that's how this had played out, if she had quit, everyone was disappointed, she apologized. I wouldn't be saying a word about it. I wouldn't care personally. I wouldn't be talking about it. The problem is that now we are exhorted not simply to understand why someone quits, but to actively applaud them for doing it. What makes the Simone Biles story troubling is not that the women's gymnastic team had to settle for a silver medal, but that our cultural powers that be want us to celebrate cowardice. As always, it's, it's not enough to merely tolerate another person's decision or to be compassionate towards their struggles. We are meant now to rise to our feet and joyously cheer what all people through history and most people living in the world today would consider shameful and unfortunate, at least. It's radical courage is the, 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 the phrase being used to describe this. Not understandable, okay, not, um, not, not, not something we should sympathize with, but radically courageous to leave your team in the lurch. It's one thing to say, Simone Biles quit, but let's have some empathy. empathy. If that was the message, I would say, sure, yeah, sounds good. It is quite another to say, 
Simone Biles quit. Isn't that so brave? Uh, No, it's not. It is the definition of not brave. It may be human. It may be relatable. But it's the opposite of brave. To be brave is to refuse to quit precisely when most people would. That's why we admire people who persevere, because they are rare. Quitters are a dime a dozen. Cowardice is in no short supply in our world. And it'll become even more common now that we've rebranded it as courage. If we will, be grant, if, if we will grant to cowardice the rewards of courage without any of the effort and sacrifice it requires, why bother with courage at all? The many defenders of Simone Biles have said that she's right, a role model, in fact, for prioritizing her mental health above all else. In the era of the psychological man, when there's nothing more important than the self's opinion of itself, it is perhaps no surprise that that we should congratulate a woman for explicitly putting herself before her team and her country. I had to put myself first. She says that exactly, explicitly. Now we are celebrating athletes who do that. It used to be the exact opposite. That's not why you compete in a team sport. That's not why you go to the Olympics for your country. If you want to focus on yourself, you don't go. You don't join the team. Nobody is walking up to someone someone sitting on a park bench and saying, why aren't you in the Olympics right now, you selfish bastard? No, because it's not a requirement. But if you are taking on that responsibility, then you're not supposed to put yourself first. That is the duty, the responsibility that you have assumed for yourself. Oh, but mental health, right? You're not allowed to say any of this now because because, uh, the the magic phrase, the magic term, the get out of jail free card, mental health has been used. That is now the shield meant to insulate us from all criticism. Oh, you you think you can criticize me for a decision I made? Well, you can't because it helped my mental health. The highest virtue now is the pursuit of your own mental well-being. Courage is now the avoidance of mental anguish. Which is to say that courage is now the exact opposite of what it has always been and what it actually is still now today. And yet still, you have to wonder how consistently the new moral code would even be applied. Would Tom Brady receive Such a worshipful reaction if he left in the third quarter of a playoff game because he wasn't having fun and needed to work on his mindfulness? Can you imagine that? You can't. It's unthinkable because it would never happen. Never has happened. You can't imagine Tom Brady in the third quarter of a playoff game, or really this is the Super Bowl, this is, the, this is the Super Bowl for, the, for this sport. I mean, more than the Super Bowl because this happens only once every four years as opposed to the Super Bowl, which happens every year, especially if you're Tom Brady and you've been in like 10 of them. But um, can you, can, you can't imagine Tom Brady, third quarter of the Super Bowl, uh, going to his coach and saying, I got to sit out. What do you mean you got to sit? Are you injured? No, no, no. I, 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 you know, I got to get him. I'm not in the right headspace right now and I got to work on myself. Nobody would accept that. Sure, there have been cases of of sulking professional athletes leaving the field or the court a few seconds early because they were frustrated and sad during a bad loss. We've seen this move from LeBron James, for example, perhaps the greatest sulker in all of sports. Um, There are usually a few people willing to defend this kind of behavior from male athletes, but they've never been celebrated like a returning war hero the way Simone Biles has been and Naomi Osaka before her. In fact, I was arguing this point with a sports writer on Twitter last night, and, and he in an attempt to defend Biles, brought up the fact that Scottie Pippen, a former Chicago Bulls player, in the 1994 NBA playoffs, sat out the final seconds of the game because he was mad that he wasn't going to get the ball. See, see that the guy was saying to me, he, what he was saying to me is, see, you know, here's, here's an example of a male athlete quitting on his team. Well, yeah, it is a very different situation. In this case, he was mad that he wasn't getting it. He wanted the pressure on him, and he wasn't getting it, and so he was mad, and he he quit. But he did quit on his team. That's true. But what happened to Scottie Pippen? He was universally reviled for that. Everyone, 
everywhere criticized him. To this day, he is criticized, and for good reason. I've never heard anyone call him brave or congratulate him for prioritizing his mental health. This is a privilege reserved only for female athletes at present. That might change, though. Maybe one day we'll, we'll celebrate both male and female quitters. Maybe we're, we're fast approaching a time when the greatest athletes will be those who manage to feel the best about themselves while competing. At that point, we won't need it to perform. You know, they won't need to perform any athletic feats at all. They can just, every sport will be them sitting in a circle and whispering sweet nothings to themselves. Everyone wins in the end. May not make for much of a spectator sport, but at least we will know that nobody's mental health has been damaged. Now let's get to our five headlines. You've probably heard in the news uh, or you've just seen, seen around, around town all these help wanted signs. There, there are a lot of companies that are looking for help. They're, they're, they're looking for employees. And uh, it's always difficult to find a qualified applicant. It's especially difficult now. And that's why if you haven't tried, if you're a business owner, if you're an employer and you haven't tried ZipRecruiter yet, now is the time to try ZipRecruiter.com slash Walsh is where you need to go so you can try this for free. ZipRecruiter doesn't wait to get for, for great candidates to find you. Okay, this is not a passive process of kind of throwing the needle out into the, the haystack and hoping that someone finds it. ZipRecruiter finds them for you. When you post a job on ZipRecruiter, it gets sent out to over 100 top job sites with one click to increase your chances of reaching top talent. Then ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right skills and experience for your job and actively invites them to apply. Again, this is an active process, not a passive one. That's the most important thing. So if you want to uh, to do this, which which you should, this is the way to find uh, the right applicant for you. Start finding great candidates today when you try ZipRecruiter for free. Just go to this exclusive web address. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Walsh. Once again, ZipRecruiter.com slash W-A-L-S-H. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. A couple of reminders. Uh, if you want to help this show out, the best thing you can do is, uh, first of all, subscribe on Apple or Spotify. Leave a five-star review. Share the podcast with your friends. Uh, and I, I, in fact, demand that you do this right now. Do it! Subscribe and leave a five-star review. I will not take no for an answer. Also, by the way, I've got a new uh, newsletter uh, that uh, we just launched a few weeks ago, and it's free. And the, the great thing is it takes just a few seconds to sign up. MattWalshReport.com. we got a fancy URL and everything set up for you. You just go to uh, MattWalshReport.com, put your email address in, and um, I will uh, send it over to the NSA. And no, I'll, what I'll do is I'll send you the newsletter, which you'll get once a week, and it's free to sign up, and it just takes a second. Um, you must do both of these things immediately or face severe consequences. Now I just have to think of what the consequences will be because I got nothing. I'm now in the predicament that, you know, you find yourself in as a parent when you make a threat and realize that you can't back it up, which, which does happen. It's like, it's like you're, you're, uh, you know, you're driving, you're like eight hours into a car trip on vacation and the kids are acting up and, and you say, hey, you two knock it off or I'm going to turn this car around and we're going home. One more time. And then you think, oh, well, actually, I'm not going to do that. I can't do that. We spent thousands on this vacation already. They, they really have me over a barrel right now, I guess. There's nothing I can do. Anyway, I will think. I will think of a consequence, just so you know. Um, all right. Let's go to, we'll, we'll start with this. The January 6th committee held its first hearing yesterday. There was, um, for one thing, lots of crying. All of it fake. And we'll have a little bit more about the crying later on in the daily cancellation because you already know that a bunch of men can't get up there and cry on camera all day without getting canceled on this show. So that, that has to happen. That was a foregone conclusion. Aside from the crying, though, um, some Capitol Police officers were, were brought on stage. And yes, I use the word stage here purposefully. Um, brought on stage to tell their stories. And uh, for the first time, th- th- this, you'll notice... This is pretty unusual, especially from Democrats. These are, these Capitol Police officers, these are the only police officers that the Democrats care about or have ever cared about. The only police officers they've ever shown any concern for. Usually, 
They're going out there and saying that police officers are deranged, racist, psychopathic, lunatic serial killers who are hunting and, and murdering innocent black men. That, that's, that's, that's how Democrats spend most of their time. And they're trying to defund police departments and actively make the job less safe for police officers all across the country. Make their job more difficult, less safe. And it's also the Democrats who have, who have made this into a situation where if you're a police officer and you have to use deadly force against a criminal suspect, a, you know, a, a violent perp, if you, have to, if you are forced by that person to use deadly force, you know that your life is over, potentially. Your freedom is now on the line because of these very same Democrats who are now putting on this big display of caring about police officers. They back the blue, all right, but very, in a very specific set of circumstances. They back the blue in the D.C. Capitol um, uh, when, when the rioters are right-wingers, and that's it. And of course, and of course, when uh, it, it's it's not only that. You know, the other factor here is that these police officers are protecting them. Okay, so yes, police officers who protect you know from the perspective of these Democrat politicians. If you're a police officer and you protect me, well, then obviously I support you. You have a very important job. We don't want to defund you. We don't want to take your weapons away. Um, you know, we want more of you. In fact, we'll we'll militarize the whole damn city. Because protecting us, that is so important. Now, protecting the average peon on the street, the guy who owns the liquor store in downtown Minneapolis or Seattle or wherever, Portland, or Atlanta or Detroit or Baltimore, um, who cares about that guy? Yeah, burn his place to the ground. Who cares? So... Um, very specific set of circumstances. Obviously, we, we have not seen any of the police officers who, who uh, dealt with the BLM rioters. And there are so many examples we could pull. I mean, let's just take one example. There was uh, the, the video, um, and I, I don't remember which, it, there, there are so many cities that all bleeds together. Um, if, you know, you'll pardon the expression. In, in, in one of these cities, there was a, a video of a police officer getting... Uh, hit over the head with a brick by a BLM rioter. In fact, there are multiple videos of that happening in multiple cities. I just have one in particular in mind. Are we, are we going to see him, that police officer? Are we going to see him on Capitol Hill? Are we going to see any Demo- Are we going to see Adam Schiff crying over the trauma that that man has clearly suffered? Have they checked in on him? Do they care? Are they wondering? Obviously not. They do care about uh, this guy, though. Uh, officer Dunn was one of the officers who spoke at the hearing, and he made some rather striking claims. Let's listen. One woman in a pink MAGA shirt yelled, you hear that, guys? This <laughs> voted for Joe Biden. Then the crowd, perhaps around 20 people, joined in screaming, boo, f***ing no one had ever, ever called me a while wearing the uniform of a Capitol Police officer. In the days following the attempted insurrection, other black officers shared with me their own stories of racial abuse on January 6th. One officer told me he had never, and in his, his entire 40 years of life, been called a to his face. And that streak ended on January 6th. Yet another black officer later told me he had been confronted by insurrectionists in the Capitol who told him, put your gun down and we'll show you what kind of you really are. Um, Now, I don't know much of anything about this man, Officer Dunn. Um, I don't mean to besmirch his reputation, but I am not prepared to believe anything that he just said, um, just based on the words themselves. And that, that by the way, is, is that's the situation that we're in now um, because there, are, there have been so many 
false claims of this type that have been made. And very often in politically convenient circumstances, as this one is. So, if it weren't for that, if these claims were only ever made credibly, or most of the time were made credibly and usually confirmed, then you know after you'd give people the benefit of the doubt. But that's that, that's just most of the time when we hear claims like this, they, it ends up being not true. So no matter who you are making the claim, I, how can I simply believe it? Now there were a lot of people there. Obviously, there were tons of cameras from, you know, uh, all, all people holding cameras, uh, security cameras. I mean, this is this is this is the nation's capital. This is D.C. This is the U.S. Capitol building. Cameras everywhere. One would assume. So has there been any video footage of that that's come out? Have we seen any video footage? Of, and he's not, he's not saying that one person called him the N-word. He's saying that a whole crowd of people were chanting it. Have, have, do we have any video footage of that? With all of the cameras all over the place, has that, has that footage come out? This, to me, seems like it's awfully similar to the original reports from the media claiming that um, Officer Sicknick was beat to death with a fire extinguisher. And this was reported. People were claiming that this had happened. The, the media was reporting it as a fact. And I said at the time, when the reports first came out, that, hey, well, hang on a second. You're telling me an officer was beat to death in the middle of our nation's capital and there's no video of it? Nothing? Well, it turns out that didn't happen. That was simply a lie. It was made up. It was a media fabrication. Officer Sicknick, we know, did tragically die, but he died of a, of, of a, of, of a health crisis that was, that was not directly related to the riots. He was not killed by a rioter, which is why no rioter has been charged with his murder, because he wasn't murdered. Now, um, Obviously, calling someone a horrible name is not nearly as bad as beating someone to death, but even so, you would still expect for this to be caught on camera, for there to be some footage of it, and we've gotten no footage whatsoever. We've seen no footage of this. Uh, so, it, uh, and, and until footage is, is made available or we get some kind of evidence, I'm, I can't believe that. Uh, speaking of things that I really cannot believe, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was uh, interviewed for kind of a documentary by uh, that, that CNN was putting together. And this is an unreleased documentary, for whatever reason, was never released, never saw the light of day. Project Veritas, James O'Keefe's outfit, they got a hold of this thing and they released it. And um, the whole thing, you know, it's, it's, it is... Just I, you can tell, I guess, why they didn't release it because it is sycophantic to an extreme, even for CNN. It is embarrassing. The whole, to call it a puff piece for Alexandria Cortez Cortez would would way understate the case. This what it was like. It's like something that Alexandria Cortez Cortez's campaign would put together. Only this was CNN that put it together. They decided not to release it. Project Veritas they got their hands on it. They did release it. And uh, there's one claim that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez made during this interview with Dana Bash from CNN that I think is especially notable. Here it is. That attack on the Capitol, you know, white supremacy and patriarchy are very linked in a lot of ways. There's a lot of sexualizing of that violence. And um, I didn't think that I was just going to be killed, I thought other things were going to happen to me as well. So what sounds like what you're telling me right now is that you didn't only think that you were going to die. You thought you were going to be raped. Yeah. Right. Well, Alexandra Kayser-Cortez, to remind you, was not in the Capitol building that day. She wasn't in the building where this was happening. She never personally encountered any rioters. Her physical safety was not in jeopardy. It wasn't. She was not in the building. There was a troubling thing happening in a building nearby, not her own building. 
And now she said, we, we already know that she had just this elaborate story of how her, her life was in jeopardy. She thought she was going to be killed, even though there was nobody in the building coming after her. And then the police officer and this, these again are the, the newly reformed back the blue Democrats. And yet this one said that the, through the, the police officer came to help her or from, from her perspective, rescue her, even though her, her safety was not in jeopardy. Police officer came to help her. Um, she, she threw that guy under the bus. So he, he, she didn't like his attitude. She, she felt unsafe around him. And that was bad enough. And now she says she's afraid that she was going to be raped. This is grotesque. I mean, this is emotional manipulation to, to an extreme that, that, that almost manages to shock you. Maybe it doesn't quite make it to that point because this is AOC we're talking about. At the very beginning of her national political career, she goes down to the border and poses for Instagram shots, crying in front of an empty parking lot. So that's the kind of person we're dealing with here. But this goes way beyond that. This is monstrous. For her to throw that out there, uh, it, that, that is monstrous from this, this woman here. Horrific. All right. Um, and if, if you really cared about sexual abuse survivors, you wouldn't be throwing something like this out there, using it so flippantly. Okay, this is from CNBC, moving on, says the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recommended on Tuesday that fully vaccinated people begin wearing masks indoors again in places with high COVID-19 transmission rates. The agency is also recommending kids wear masks in school this fall. Federal health officials still believe fully vaccinated individuals represent a very small amount of transmission. Still, some vaccinated people could be carrying higher levels of the virus than previously understood and potentially transmitted to others. Um, the updated guidance comes ahead of the fall season when the highly contagious Delta variant is expected to cause another surge. Um, and uh, this Walensky says, well, actually, we have the clip of Walensky talking about this, so I guess we'll just play that. Here's CDC Director Rochelle Walensky talking about uh, why you might need to start wearing a mask again. Here it is. In areas with substantial and high transmission, CDC recommends fully vaccinated people wear masks in public, indoor settings to help prevent the spread of the Delta variant and protect others. This includes schools. CDC recommends that everyone in K-12 schools wear a mask indoors, including teachers, staff, students, and visitors, regardless of vaccination status. Children should return to full-time in-person learning in the fall with proper prevention strategies in place. So this, we're, we're talking about not just um, in schools, well, that too, that might be the worst part of this. It's, it's being demanded now that uh, kids in, wear masks in school. So we're not going to be, you know, the, the kids will not get there, get to finally just go to school like normal human beings. They got to wear masks the entire day. Um, but also based on the CDC's guidance, it sounds like what they're saying is that you should be wearing a mask even in your own home. If you, if you live in an area with, uh, with high rates of, of COVID and you live with people who are not vaccinated, then you should be wearing a mask around people that aren't vaccinated, which I presumably would include your own home. That's what the CDC is, is saying. Uh, and we're going to start to see, we've already, we have already seen, but we'll begin to see even more, um, these mandates being put in, into effect on, on local and, and state levels. The question is really just whether you will choose to abide by it. Um, and, and if you do, you know, I go back to the, the Sam Adams quote, if you love wealth better than liberty, the tranquility of servitude better than the animating contest of freedom, go home from us in peace. We ask not your counsel or arms. Crouch down and lick the hands which feed you. May your chains set lightly upon you and may posterity forget that you are our countrymen. 
That's that's where I that's where I am now with the mask. May your mask set lightly upon you, and may posterity forget that you are a countryman. I don't even want to share a country with you. You're you're a disgrace. If you're still taking these people seriously after all of this, you're going to do what they tell you to do. Contradicting themselves constantly. Let's let's be clear about something. The data haven't changed here. There's been no scientific breakthrough that's changed our understanding of the virus. Okay, we're seeing an uptick in cases in some parts of the country. These things kind of happening in waves. That's not a surprise. We knew that was going to happen. That's always going to happen because COVID like the flu, is never going to go away. It's always going to be around, most likely. We are going to have to live with it or refuse to live because of it. That's the choice here. But that part we knew. Um, As far as the risk that it poses to vaccinated people, which is almost non-existent, you know, your, your chance of getting seriously sick from COVID if you're vaccinated or if you have uh, immunity from, from prior infection, which, by the way, is another thing. You notice we're not even talking about that. We don't talk about natural immunity. At least the media doesn't. It doesn't come up. The, the White House, they don't talk about it. The CDC doesn't talk about it. Does that mean that it doesn't exist? No, it does. There have been studies done on this. Natural immunity from COVID is a real thing. And it gives, according to studies, it gives, um, and this, this, work, this, this comports with, with common sense. Again, what you would expect. It does, gives you, it does give you lasting and significant protection from getting infected again. So we, we always hear about the number of people who have been vaccinated, which is 100, whatever, plus 60 million, whatever it is. Um, there's also a the when it comes to the unvaccinated, the unclean, stay away, right? Um, the, the the people that I guess should be in leper colonies now. Of that group, a certain not insignificant portion of them also have immunity because they've already had it. So you've got many many adults are already vaccinated. The vast majority of people in the high-risk groups are vaccinated. Um, elderly people, people with comorbidities, uh, uh, people, obese, you know, these high-risk categories, they got vaccinated early on. So the vast majority of them are vaccinated. Um, most adults are vaccinated already. Um, of the people who are not vaccinated, a great number of them have immunity from prior infection. And then of the people who have no prior immunity and are not vaccinated, a great number of them are kids who from the very beginning we've always known are not at any serious risk of the virus and also just young adults in general who also are not at any serious risk. So who are we trying to protect right now? Who are these people who are at serious risk from the virus and don't have any kind of immunity at all, either either, either from vaccination or natural immunity? How many fall into that category? Like 10? I don't know. Um, But these are just normal, common sense observations and questions. Uh, And if if you are not thinking about this stuff right now, and you're going to follow these people, Rochelle Walensky and these quote-unquote public health experts, if you're going to follow them around like a blind dog on a leash, then I, I don't know what to do for you. I don't know what to say to you. Other than fine. Yeah, go ahead. Be a dog. Be, be a dog. Get, get led around on a leash. Let them put the muzzle on you. Maybe it's a good thing now. Really separating the wheat from the chaff. Really showing us who is who. To, to wear the mask now, it's like a, this, this is like the scarlet letter. I mean, it is showing, it's showing us who you, who you are. And how much we should uh, should or should not respect you. 
Okay. Um, let's see. What else do we got here? Uh, do we have time? Uh, okay. I wanted to mention this. This is from CNN. Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis appeared on an episode of Dak Shepard's Armchair Expert podcast, and the talk turned to bathing. After Shepard told co-host Monica Padman that using soap every day rids the body of natural oils, Kutcher and Kunis agreed, saying they only wash vitals every day. So they don't bathe and they don't bathe their kids. Okay, wait a second. I'm trying to figure out why I read this story to you. I was trying to figure... One other thing I wanted to tell you about before we move on to reading the comments and daily cancellation, I decided to go with this. Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher's poor hygiene. Why did I do that? I don't know. Why, why was CNN reporting it? Why is any of this happening? Who am I? Who are you? Where am I? I don't, I don't have, I, nobody will ever know. I don't have the answer to any of those questions. I will say, since we're on the subject, on the topic of bathing, um, I believe in bathing. I put me in the pro-bathing camp. Um, but I, I do think that the, here's as far as I'll go in their direction. I do think that the soap industry is scamming us. I think, I think there's kind of a conspiracy, and I've always thought this. I've, I'm, I'm, it, big soap, okay? There's kind of a conspiracy there, and they have convinced us, especially women, to buy like 15 different versions of soap. You know, the average American bathroom now, the average American bathroom has in and of itself 15 different versions of soap, and then you've got different soaps in the kitchen, different soaps for everything. My theory, which I have not tested in a laboratory setting, is that really all soap is the same, and you only need one kind for all applications. It's, it's soap is soap. Am I suggesting that you should potentially bathe with dishwashing liquid and use that for everything? Yeah. Again, not, not a tested assertion, but that's my theory. Okay, moving on to reading the YouTube comments. This is from Chris. He says, does your poison position to the drug argument also apply to alcohol? In my opinion, it should. Um, also, have you spilled out all of your Blantons yet? Okay, yeah, we were talking about drugs yesterday and, uh, and the legalization of drugs. And yeah, so, so, someone, someone said, well, we should have the right to ingest whatever we want. And my point was, yeah, you can ingest whatever you want. Whether you have the legal right or not, you can. Nobody can stop you from, from ingesting anything. You can. As I said, you could get a bottle of gasoline and drink it. I don't recommend it, but you could. No one can really stop you from doing it. Um, the question is, yeah, yeah, you can ingest any poison you want, but should people have the right to sell you any poison that they want to sell you? And my answer to that is no, they shouldn't. And how do you decide, you know, what should be legal, what shouldn't, what should be, what you should be allowed to sell, what you shouldn't be allowed to sell? Well, I would say we could start with this, and I and I know that it can get a little more complicated as as we get into the kind of gray areas. But certainly, to begin with, if something is simply poison and it can do nothing but harm you and kill you, then that is not something that should be legal to sell. Uh, and a lot of drugs, a lot of the currently illegal drugs fall into that category. Not all of them. Um, as I said, there's a gray area that we can talk about marijuana. There's a gray area there. Uh, now, it, it, I did get a lot of co- comments saying, what about alcohol? Well, no, alcohol is not poison. It's not. It, taken in a moderate dose, it can have, in fact, positive physical effects. It, it, certainly it can be and there, there have been many studies. In fact, there was a recent study that I just had. Now, I, now I've lost sight of it. But Yahoo News was reporting. Maybe I can find it. Um, okay, their headline, light to moderate drinking tied to lower risk of heart attack and death in patients with heart disease. So we've seen a lot of studies like this. And every once in a while, you'll see a study on the other side saying, no, 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 no. Actually, it doesn't help. But um, there, that's a live question anyway. I think, it, I think at least reasonably we can say, at a minimum, that drinking in moderation, for most people, is not going to hurt you. Um, and there's a very good chance that, in fact, it can help you. So that's why alcohol is different. It, 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 is, it's, it is not poison. It can become poisonous if you choose to way overdo it. But then again, any substance can potentially become poisonous if you overdo it. Water. You could die from drinking too much water. Water poisoning is a thing. No, nobody would say that it should be illegal to sell bottled water. Uh, so I don't, I don't think alcohol falls into that category. Something like crack cocaine, for example, does. I mean, that's that can do. There is no moderate level of crack cocaine usage, 
There is no level at, at which it won't really hurt you or potentially could help you physically. It is simply poison straight up, and uh, it shouldn't be legal to sell. Um, another comment says, the fishing tackle comment was brilliant. I organized my baking ingredients yesterday. Good job, though I say so myself. There is a certain joy in organizing items that you uh, like to use. And that is a joy that can only be experienced once you're old and boring. It, it is for kids. Kids are horrified to think that they'll get to a point when they would actually enjoy organizing fishing tackle or baking ingredients or sock drawer. But it will happen to you. It will. Unless you die before that. That's the only thing that'll save you. Um, and uh, let's see. Uh, Bob says, nice, Matt. You're saying that turtles... The Turtles family didn't care about him because he's disabled. I'm glad I'm banned from watching. No, the Turtles family, my kids, the, the disabled turtle that they rescued, they abandoned him, okay? They're the deadbeats. We rescued that turtle from an abusive situation. Or else we kidnapped him when his parents were just a few feet away and we didn't notice. That's also possible, but who really knows? And finally, Jopa says, I'm uncomfortable calling Matt Sweet Daddy Walsh probably because I'm old enough to be Matt's daddy. Well... Joe Pop, please do not dead name me. My name is Sweet Daddy Walsh. That's how I identify. And I, I expect you to respect that. Ben Shapiro's new book, The Authoritarian Moment, has finally hit bookshelves. And it's time for you to read up on some truth. Ben's book covers an in-depth look at how the left has taken control over our institutions, entertainment, education centers, our relationships, everything. For example, um, our great nation's leader is entertaining the idea of requiring vaccines for all federal employees. In fact, I think, I think, I think that, that actually has come down and, and that will be required. In addition, the CDC is now recommending that all vaccinated folks still wear masks, as we talked about. And Gavin Newsom is the first to adopt that. It's, it's unbelievable the authoritarian lengths that these politicians will go, are willing to go, just to enforce their brand of order. And that's what the authoritarian moment is all about. And that's why it's, it could not be more timely for this moment, the authoritarian moment is now available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or any other major bookseller. So you can get your copy now and leave a five-star review to help amplify conservative voices. And also, speaking of amplifying conservative voices, you'll hear some conservative voices tonight for another episode of Backstage. Always very exciting. You can join me, Ben Shapiro, Jeremy Boring, Michael Knowles, Andrew Clavin, and Candace Owens will be there for an extra exciting cigar pack session of Backstage. It streams tonight at 7 o'clock. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central on dailywire.com and on our YouTube channel, Daily Wire. Don't miss it. And for a limited time, you can enter to win a backstage VIP pass to visit the Daily Wire studios. Meet your backstage hosts, uh, myself included. I don't know why you would want to meet me exactly, um, but you can. And I, I'll stand there staring at you awkwardly. Hopefully, the other guys will do most of the talking. Um, you also get a swag bag of Daily Wire merchandise, including autographed books. Uh, new Daily Wire members are automatically entered to win. So go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. I like how they, did, they didn't ask me about this. You want to be involved in this? Now you, you will just, I'm like a zoo animal. People are coming. Just stand there in your natural environment and let them gawk at you. Anyway, um, go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. You get 25% off a new membership with code backstage. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. As previously noted, yesterday was a big day for performatively emotional displays by henpecked men. During the January 6th hearing, uh, one man after another took turns bawling his eyes out, weeping openly and without shame. The most grotesque and nauseating spectacles came, as always, from the politicians. Here is Representative Adam Schiff getting uh, choked up for unclear reasons. We deem elections illegitimate merely because they didn't go our way rather than trying to do better the next time. God help us. And if we're so driven by bigotry and hate that we attack our fellow citizens as traitors, if they're born in another country or they don't look like us, and, and God help us. But I have faith because of folks like you. And uh, Adam, I didn't expect this would be quite so much either, but it must be an Adam thing today. Uh, but I'm so grateful to all of you. 
And with that, Mr. Chairman, I yield back. Uh, he's got to work on his acting a little bit. I appreciate the timing. So he timed his emotional breakdown for when he mentioned bigotry. No, that's when he's, no, we, we have to be nicer to people who don't look like us. The bigotry is so upsetting to me. Um, so he, he, he timed it well, but I, the, the acting needs a little bit of work. He wasn't the only Adam to carry on this way. Adam Kinzinger, a Republican, sobbed even louder. It was an, it was an inspiring moment of bipartisan emasculation. Let's watch that. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and uh, thank you to my colleagues on the committee. Thank you to our witnesses. Uh, I never expected a day to be <clears throat> quite as emotional for me as it has been. Uh, I've talked to a number of you and gotten to know you. I think it's important to tell you right now, though, you guys may like individually feel a little broken. You guys all talk about the effects you have to deal with, and you know you talk about the impact of that day. But you guys won. You guys held. You know, democracies are not defined by our bad days. We're defined by how we come back from bad days. How we take accountability for that. And for all the overheated rhetoric surrounding this committee, our mission is very simple. Let's define the truth. And it's to ensure accountability. Sorry, I'm getting a little emotional too. <sighs> well, misty-eyed. Now, it goes without saying that neither of these men have shed any tears, as we discussed earlier, for any of the victims of any of the horrific BLM riots last year. Police officers were bashed over the head with bricks, beat, attacked, berated. This is all on video. Uh, their precincts were burned to the ground. A retired police officer was murdered in cold blood and left for dead in the street. Neither of the crying Adams have ever shed any tears for those officers. By the way, that should be a band name, the crying Adams. Um, that's because their tears are fake and manipulative. Fake and manipulative tears from anyone are disgraceful, but from a man, even more so. Even leaving aside the rank dishonesty here, this is also part of a larger problem. A symptom of an endemic disease. The fact that grown men will now cry to get what they want, like my eight-year-old daughter, only shows, again, that masculinity is in a dire state in this culture. There was a time when that sort of display would have been considered embarrassing and weak. But now we're meant to take a man seriously when he cries in front of us, even more seriously, if anything. I think this is wrong, to put it mildly. And I've said so many times, I reiterated this point on Twitter yesterday. This is what I wrote. Simply, I said, um, men should not cry in public. It is unmanly and dishonorable. Rare exceptions can be made to this rule but we make far too many exceptions. And the exceptions are pretty obvious. A loved one dies, your child is born, your bride is walking down the aisle at your wedding. Um, in the latter two cases, a, a dignified tear or two may be acceptable, but please don't turn the faucet on. Okay, there's, there's no reason to go overboard. Don't try to prove a point. Um, other exceptions can be imagined. We, we've talked about some of them before. Perhaps, for example, you're saying goodbye to your family before embarking on a three-year voyage to Mars. Maybe you're watching the end of the movie, Rudy. Aside from those rare occurrences, the point is that men should comport themselves with a certain level of stoicism and dignity, learning to control their emotions and projecting an image of strength of someone who is composed and in control. Yeah, it's possible to go overboard, to go overboard in that direction, becoming an emotionless robot entirely unaffected by suffering, your own or anyone else's. But there aren't very many men in our society who are at any risk of falling into that trap. The problem, in most cases, lies way at the other end of the spectrum. Men today are encouraged to put their emotions on display at all times, to be vulnerable, to be soft and feminine and gentle. Men are encouraged to be women, in other words. In fact, some of the responses to my tweet were pretty enlightening. Um, lots of people, of course, were scoffing at the opinion that I expressed, even though it's an opinion shared by most people in the world, whether they'll say it out loud or not. Most women naturally want a man who will comfort them when they cry. They don't want to be doing most of the comforting. I'm not a woman myself, so I will allow the ladies to correct me on this point, but I can't imagine that most single women are searching for the kind of man 
who will break down in tears at the slightest disappointment or setback. Few women, I'm guessing, dream of the sort of man who will come home from work, tears dripping down his cheeks, sobbing and saying, I just had a really bad day. Hank at the office was super rude. I am so frustrated. I would also theorize that the typical woman wouldn't marry a man at all if she knew that he'd be the type to shake her awake in the middle of the night, teary-eyed and trembling and saying, I just heard a noise outside. Can you go out and check? I'm so scared. Few women want men who are like this. Few boys want to grow into men like this. And yet our culture produces men like this. This may not be something that the average person desires, but it is the agenda all the same. An agenda shared by, for example, a woman named Rachel Barabo. Uh, she's not any great cultural force by any means, but she is a, a former sportscaster turned, it seems, into some kind of motivational speaker for students and young men. Um, I know of her existence because she tweeted at me in response to my thoughts about men crying, and she said two words, shut up. Yep, I've got my sassy pants on today. We are changing the narrative on what masculinity means, despite what this guy says. Now, again, this is not any, any, any kind of uh, a person of any great importance, but there is something so apt about this. Here is a woman who likely doesn't represent the views of most women we should know. But a woman all the same telling me, a man, to shut up on the subject of masculinity and to defer to her expertise. She, not only a woman, but a person who uses the phrase sassy pants, has decided that she should be in charge of changing the narrative on masculinity. As for me, a man, a husband, a father of four, I have to pipe down and allow her to dictate terms. Sadly, many men have decided to obey these kinds of demands from these kinds of women. Our culture has indeed allowed women to take the lead, even to the extent of defining masculinity. We see this in our schools, in our churches, in Hollywood, and media. We live in an increasingly feminine world. Though ironically, men are once again reasserting their dominance by identifying as women and bringing everything full circle. It is a confused situation to say the least. Now, into this confusion, as a way of clearing the fog a little bit, I'd like to offer a, a clarifying image of what masculinity is actually supposed to be and how it is supposed to act in the world. This is a story I've mentioned a couple of times on the show, but it's worth mentioning again um, in, in, in this uh, situation. It comes from Solzhenitsyn's uh, Gulag Archipelago, his magnum opus about the Soviet labor camp system. In one of the volumes, volume one, I believe, he recounts the story of a man who had been arrested on trumped-up charges and shipped off to prison. And when he was at prison, he was sentenced to death. But by the time the sentence had been handed down, his wife was already on a boat on the way to visit him. And so he begged the guards to delay his execution for a few days so that he could see his wife one last time. They agreed on the condition that he doesn't tell her about his impending execution. And he didn't. He was with her for three days, never mentioned it, never hinted at it. Uh, and once she left, he was taken immediately before the firing squad and shot. Now, that is stoicism and manliness beyond the capacity of most mere mortals, but it, it points us in the, in the direction that we should be striving towards. We are meant as men to carry our burdens with dignity and not to expect everyone else, least of all the women in our lives, to lighten our loads by always sharing in them. That at least is one way to be a man. The other is... Adam Schiff, weeping like a schoolgirl, using his tears to manipulate and exploit. You could choose that option if you want, but you have to sacrifice your dignity and your masculinity and your self-respect in the process. And also, you are today, for that reason, canceled. And we'll leave it there. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. 
Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Koromina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. John Bickley here, editor-in-chief of Daily Wire. Wake up every morning with our new show, Morning Wire. On today's show, the floodgates open on vaccine mandates, the refund the police movement gains momentum, and troops withdraw from the Middle East. Join us and get the facts first on the news you need to know with our show, Morning Wire. 